Part One of Lion Loose. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Winston Tharp. Lion Loose by James H. Schmitz. Part One. For twelve years, at a point where three major shipping routes of the Federation of the Hub crossed within a few hours' flight of one another, the Seventh Star Hotel had floated in space. A great golden sphere gleaming softly in the void through its translucent shells of battle plastic. The star had been designed to be much more than a convenient transfer station for travelers and freight. For some years after it was open to the public, it retained a high rating among the more exotic pleasure resorts of the hub. The Seventh Star Hotel was the place to have been that season, and the celebrities and fat cats converged on it with their pals and hangers-on. The star blazed with life, excitement, interstellar scandals, tinkled with streams of credits dancing in from a thousand worlds. In short, it had started out as a paying proposition. But gradually things changed. The star's entertainment remained as delightfully outrageous as ever, the cuisine as excellent, the accommodations and service were still above reproach, the fleecing in general became no less expertly painless. But one had been there. By its eighth year the star was dated. Now in its twelfth it lived soberly off the liner and freighter trade, Four-fifths of the guest suites shut down, the remainder irregularly occupied between ship departures. And in another seven hours, if the plans of certain men went through, the Seventh Star Hotel would abruptly wink out of existence. Some fifty or sixty early diners were scattered around the tables on the garden terraces of Fallagian House, the Seventh Star Hotel's most exclusive eatery. One of them had just finished his meal, sat smoking and regarding a spiraling flow of exquisitely indicated female figures across the garden's skyscape with an air of friendly approval. He was a large and muscular young man, deeply tanned, with shoulders of impressive thickness, an aquiline nose, and dark reflective eyes. After a minute or two he yawned comfortably, put out his cigarette, and pushed his chair back from the table. As he came to his feet, there was a soft bell note from the table comweb. He hesitated, said, Go ahead. Is intrusion permitted? the comweb inquired. Depends, the guest said. Who is calling? The name is Rita Destone. He grinned, appeared pleasantly surprised. Put the lady through. There was a brief silence. Then a woman's voice inquired softly, Quillen? Right here, doll. Where? Seal the comweb, Quillen. He reached down to the instrument, tapped the seal button, said, All right, we're private. Probably, the woman's voice said, but better scramble this, too. I want to be very sure no one's listening. Quillen grunted, slid his left hand into an inner coat pocket, briefly fingered a device of the approximate size and shape of a cigarette, drew his hand out again. Scrambling he announced. Now what? Mayday, Quillen, the soft voice said. Can you come immediately? Quillen's face went expressionless. Of course, 
Is it urgent? I'm in no present danger, but we better waste no time. Is it going to take real hardware? I'm carrying a finger gun at the moment. Then go to your rooms and pick up something useful, Retall said. This should take real hardware, all right. All right? Then where do I go? I'll meet you at your door. I know where it is. When Quillen arrived, she was standing before the door to his suite, a tall blonde in a sleeveless black and gold sheath, a beautiful body, a warm, lovely, humorous face. The warmth and humor were real, but masked a mind as impersonally efficient as a computer and a taste for high and dangerous living. When Quillen had last met Retall Destone a year and a half before, the taste was being satisfied in industrial espionage. He hadn't heard of her activities since then. She smiled thoughtfully at him as he came up. "'I'll wait outside,' she said. "'We're not talking here.' Quillen nodded, went into his living room, selected a gun belt and holstered gun from a suitcase, fastened the belt around his waist under the coat, and came out. "'Now what?' First, a little portal-hopping. He followed her across the corridor and into a tube portal, watched as she tapped out a setting. The exit light flashed a moment later. They stepped out into a vacant lounge somewhere else in the same building, crossed it, entered another portal. After three more shifts, they emerged into a long hall, dimly lit, heavily carpeted. There was no one in sight. Last stop, Retall said. She glanced up at his face. We're on the other side of the star now, in one of the sections they've closed up. I've established a kind of emergency headquarters here. The star's nearly broke, did you know? I'd heard of it. That appears to be part of the reason for what's going on, Quillen said. What's going on? Retall slid her arm through his, said, Come on, that's my, mm, unregistered suite over there. Big boy, it's very, very selfish of me but I was extremely glad to detect your name on the list of newly arrived guests just now. As to what's going on, the Camelot bursts here at midnight, you know. Quillen nodded. I have some business with one of her passengers. Retall bent to unlock the entrance door to the indicated suite. The way it looks now, she remarked, the odds are pretty high that you're not going to keep that appointment. Why not? Because shortly after the Camelot docks, something's been unloaded from her. The Camelot and the Seven Star Hotel are scheduled to go poof together, along with you, me, and some twelve thousand other people. And so far, I haven't been able to think of a good way to keep it from happening. Quillen was silent a moment. Who's scheduling the poof? he asked. Some old acquaintances of ours are among them. Come on in, what they're doing comes under the heading of destroying the evidence. She locked the door behind them, said, Just a moment, went over to the paneled wall, turned down a tiny silver switch. Room portal, she said, nodding at the wall. It might come in handy. I keep it turned off most of the time. Why are you turning it on now? Quillen asked. One of the star stewards is working on this with me. He'll be long as soon as he can get away. Now I'll give you the whole thing as briefly as I can. The old acquaintances I mentioned are some boys of the Brotherhood of Belden. Movane's here. He's got Morris Coons and Fluel with him, and about thirty of the Brotherhood's top guns. Noam Lancion's coming in on the Camelot in person tonight to take charge. 
Obviously, with all that brass on the job, they're after something very big. Just what it is, I don't know yet. I've got one clue, but a rather puzzling one. Tell you about that later. Do you know Valadin? The Commodore here? Quillen nodded. I've never met him, but I know who he is. Retall said, He's been manager of the Seven Star Hotel for the past nine years. He's involved in the Belden Outfit's operation. So is the chief of the Star's private security force. His name's Ryder, and half a dozen other Star executives. They've got plenty of firepower, too, close to half the entire security force, I understand, including all the officers. That would come to nearly seventy men. There's reason to believe the rest of the force was disarmed and murdered by them in the subspace section of the star about twelve hours ago. They haven't been seen since then. Now, Valadin, aside from his share in whatever they're after, has another reason for wanting to wipe out the star in an unexplained blow-up. There I have definite information. Did you know the Mooley brothers owned the star? Yes. I've been working for the Mooleys the past eight months, Retall said, checking up on employees at Valadin's level for indications of graft. And it appears the Commodore had been robbing them blind here for at least several years. Sort of a risky thing to try with the Mooleys, from what I hear, Quillen remarked. Yes, very. Valadin had reason to be getting a little desperate about that. Two men were planted here a month ago. One of them is Cher Haraga, the steward I told you about. The other man came in as a bookkeeper. Two weeks ago, Haraga got word that the bookkeeper had disappeared. Valadin and Ryder apparently got wise to what he was trying to do, so the Mooleys sent me here to try to find out exactly what was going on before they took action. I arrived four days ago. She gave a regretful little headshake. I waited almost a day before contacting Haraga. It seemed advisable to move very cautiously in the matter, but that made it a little too late to do anything. Quillen, for the past three days, the Seven Star Hotel has been locked up like a bank vault, and except for ourselves, only the people who are in on the plot are aware of it. The message transmitters are inoperative? he asked. Retall nodded. The story is that a gravitic storm center in the area has disrupted transmissions completely for the time being. What about incoming ships? Yours was the only one scheduled before the Camelot arrives. It left again eight hours ago. Nobody here had been let on board. The guests who wanted to apply for outgoing berths were told there were none open, that they'd have to wait for the Camelot. She went over to a desk, unlocked a drawer, took out a sheaf of papers, and handed one of them to Quillen. That's the layout of the star, she said. This five-level building over by the shell is the executive block. The Brotherhood and the Commodore's men moved in there this morning. The block is the Star's defense center. It's raid-proofed, contains the control officers and the transmitter and armament rooms, about the standard arrangement. While they hold the executive block, they have absolute control of the Star. If it's the defense center, it should be practically impossible to do anything about them there, Quillen agreed. They could close it up and dump the air out of the rest of the star in a minute if they had to, but there must be... Well, what about the lifeboats in the subspace section? And our pals must have a getaway ship stashed away somewhere. They have two ships, Retall said. A souped-up freighter Brotherhood came in on, and a large armed yacht, which seems to be the Commodore's personal property. 
Unfortunately, they're both in subspace locks. Why unfortunately? Because they've sealed off subspace. Try portaling down there, and you'll find yourself looking at a battle plastic bulkhead. There's no way of getting either to the ships or to the lifeboats. Quillen lifted his eyebrows. And that hasn't caused any comment? What about the maintenance crews, the warehouse men, the— All the work crews were hauled out of subspace this morning, Retall said. On the quiet, the Star's employees have been told that a gang of raiders was spotted in the warehouse area, and is at present cornered there. Naturally, the matter isn't going to be mentioned to the guests to avoid arousing unnecessary concern, and that explains everything very neatly. The absence of the security man, and why subspace is sealed off. Why the executive block is under guard and can't be entered and why the technical and office personnel in there don't come out and can't communicate out. They've been put on emergency status, officially. Yuck, Quinlan said disgustedly after a minute. This begins to look like a hopeless situation, Dahl. True. Let's see now, Retall interrupted. There is one portal still open to subspace. That's in the executive block, of course, and Araga reports it's heavily guarded. How does he know? The block's getting its meals from Belagian House. He floated a diner in there a few hours ago. Well, Quillen said, brightening, perhaps a deft flavoring of poison. Retall shook her head. I checked over the hospital stocks. Not a thing there that couldn't be spotted at once. Unless we can clobber them very thoroughly, we can't afford to make them suspicious with a trick like that. Poison would be a bit rough on the office help, too, Quillen conceded. They wouldn't be in on the deal. No, they're not. They're working under guard. Gas? No, I suppose not. It would take too long to whip up something that could turn the trick. Quillen glanced at his watch. If the Camelot docks at midnight, we've about six and a half hours left, doll. And I don't find myself coming up with any brilliant ideas. What have you thought of? Retall hesitated a moment. Nothing very brilliant either, she said then. But there are two things we might try as a last resort. Let's hear them. I know a number of people registered in the star at present who'd be carrying personal weapons. If they were told the facts, I could probably line up about twenty who'd be willing to make a try to get into the executive block and take over either the control offices or the transmitter room. If we got a warning out to the Camelot, that would break up the plot. Of course, it wouldn't necessarily save the star. No. Quillen said, but it's worth trying if we can't think of something better. How would you get them inside? We could crowd twenty men into one of those diner trucks, and Haraga could take us in. What kind of people are your pals? A few smugglers and confidence men I've had connections with. Fairly good boys for this sort of thing. Then there's an old millionaire sportsman with a party of six waiting to transfer to the Camelot for a safari on Jantaro. Old Phil Marin isn't all there, in my opinion, but he's dead game and loves any kind of a ruckus. We can count on him and his friends, if they're not too drunk at the moment. Still, that's not too many to set against something less than a hundred professional guns, even though some of them must be down on the two ships. No, not enough, Quillen looked thoughtful. What's the other idea? Let the cat out of the bag generally. "'Tell the guests and the employees out there what's going on, "'and see if someone can think of something that might be done.' "'He shook his head. "'What you'd set off with that would be anywhere between a riot and a panic.' 
The boys in the executive block would simply give us the breathless treatment. Apparently, they prefer to have everything looking quiet and normal when the Camelot gets here. But they don't have to play it that way, Retal agreed. We might be dead for hours before the liner docks. If they keep the landing dock closed until what they want has been unloaded, nobody on the Camelot would realize what had happened before it was too late. There was a moment's silence. Then Quillen said, You mentioned you'd picked up a clue as to what they were after. What was that? Well, that's a curious thing, Retal said. On the trip out here, a young girl named Solveig Kinmartin attached herself to me. She didn't want to talk much, but I gathered she was newly married and that her husband was on board and was neglecting her. She's an appealing little thing, and she seemed so forlorn and upset that I adopted her for the rest of the run. After we arrived, of course, I pretty well forgot about the Kinmartins and their troubles. A few hours ago, Solvay suddenly came bursting into the suite where I'm registered. She was shaking all over. After I calmed her down a bit, she spilled out her story. She and her husband, Brock Kinmartin, are rest wardens, with another man named Eltok, whom Solvay describes as some sort of crazy old coot. They are assigned to escort two deluxe private rescubicles to a very exclusive sanatorium on Mesmali. But Brock told Solvay at the beginning of the trip that this was a very unusual assignment, that he didn't want her even to come near the cubicles. That wouldn't have bothered her so much, she says, but on the way here Brock became increasingly irritable and absent-minded. She knew he was worrying about the cubicles, and she began to wonder whether they weren't involved in something illegal. The pay was very high. They're both getting almost twice the regular warden fee for the job. One day she found an opportunity to do a little investigating. The cubicles are registered, respectively, to a Lady Pendrake and to a Major Pendrake. Lady Pendrake appears to be genuine. The cubicle is unusually large and constructed somewhat differently from the ones with which Solvay was familiar, but it was clear that it had an occupant. However, the life indicator on Major Pendrake's cubicle registered zero when she turned it on. If there was something inside it, it wasn't a living human being. That was all she learned at the time, because she was afraid Brock might catch her in the cubicle room. Here in the star, the cubicles were taken to a suite reserved for Lady Pendrake. The other man, Eltok, stayed in the suite with the cubicles, while the Kinmartins were given other quarters. However, Brock was still acting oddly and spending most of his time in the Pendrake suite. So this morning, Solvay swiped his key to the suite and slipped in when she knew the two men had left it. She'd barely got there when she heard Brock and Eltok at the door again. She ran into the next room and hid in the closet. Suddenly there was a commotion in the front room, and Solvay realized that men from the Star Security Force had arrived and were arresting Brock and Eltok. They hauled both of them away, then floated the cubicles out on a carrier and took them off too, locking the suite behind them. Solvay was in a complete panic, sure that she and Brock had become involved in some serious breach of the warden code. She waited a few minutes, then slipped out of the Pendrake suite and looked me up to see if I couldn't help them. I had Haraga check, and he reported that the Kinmartin suite was under observation. Apparently they want to pick up the girl, too. So I tucked her away in one of the suites in this section and gave her something to put her to sleep. She's there now. Quillen said, And where are the prisoners and the cubicles? In the executive block. How do you know? Retal smiled briefly. The Duke of Fluel told me. Huh? The Brotherhood knows you're here? 
Relax, Rital said. Nobody but Haraga knows I'm working for the Moolies. I told the Duke I had a big con deal set up when the Camelot came in. I even suggested he might like to get in on it. He laughed and said he had other plans. But he won't mention to anyone that I'm here. Why not? Because, Rital said dryly, what the Duke is planning to get in on is an hour of tender dalliance, before the Camelot arrives necessarily. The cold-blooded little skunk! She hesitated a moment. When she spoke again, her voice had turned harsh and nasal, wicked amusement sounding through it. Sort of busy at the moment, sweetheart, but we might find time for a drink or two later on in the evening, eh? Quillen grunted. You're as good at the voice imitations as ever. How did you find out about the cubicles? I took a chance and fed him a moment of truth. With Fluel, Quinlan said thoughtfully, that was taking a chance. Believe me, I was aware of it. I've run into card-carrying sadists before, but the Duke's the only one who scares me silly. But it did work. He dropped in for about a minute and a half and came out without noticing a thing. Meanwhile, I'd got the answers to a few questions. The bomb with which they're planning to mop up behind them has already been planted up here in the norm space section. Fluel didn't know where. Armaments experts took care of it. It's armed now. There's a firing switch on each of their ships, and both switches have to be tripped before the thing goes off. Part of what they're after is in those Pendrake rest cubicles. Part of it? Quillen asked. Uh-huh. An even hundred similar cubicles will be unloaded from the Camelot, the bulk of the hall, which is why Gnome Lancion is supervising things on the liner. I started to ask what was in the cubicles, but I saw Fluel was beginning to lose that blank look they have under truth, and switched back to light chit-chat just before he woke up. Yako's paying for the job, or rather it will pay for the stuff on delivery, and no questions asked. That's not very much help, is it? Quillen said after a moment, something a big crooked industrial combine like Yako thinks it can use. It must expect to be able to use it to extremely good advantage, Rital said. The Brotherhood will collect thirty million credits for their part of the operation. The Commodore's group presumably won't do any worse. She glanced past Quillen toward the room portal. It's okay. Haraga, come in. Sher Haraga was a lean, dark-skinned little man with a badly bent nose, black curly hair, and a nervous look. He regretted, he said, that he hadn't been able to uncover anything which might be a lead to the location of the bomb. Apparently it wasn't even being guarded. And, of course, a bomb of the size required here would be quite easy to conceal. "'If they haven't put guards over it,' Retall agreed, "'it'll take blind luck to spot it, unless we can get hold of one of the men who knows where it's planted.' There was silence for some seconds. Then Quillen said, Well, if we can't work out a good plan, we'd better see what we can do with one of the bad ones. Are the Commodore's security men wearing uniforms? Haraga shook his head. Not the ones I saw. But here's an idea, Quillen said. As things stand, barging into the executive block with a small armed group can't accomplish much. It might be more interesting than sitting around and waiting to be blown up, but it still would be suicide. However, if we could get things softened up and disorganized in there first— Softened up and disorganized how? Retall asked. We can use that notion you had of having Haraga float in another diner. This time I'm on board. 
in a steward's uniform, in case the guards check. They didn't the first time, Haraga said. Sloppy of them. Well, they're just gun hands. Anyway, once we're inside, I shuck off the uniform and get out. Haraga delivers his goodies and leaves again. Retall gave him a look. You'll get shot down the instant you're seen, dope. I think not. There are two groups in there, about a hundred men in all, and they haven't had time to get well acquainted yet. I'll have my gun in sight, and anyone who sees me should figure I belong to the other group, until I run into one of the Brotherhood boys who knows me personally. Then that's when you'll get shot down. I understand the last time you and the Duke of Fluel met, he woke up with lumps. The Duke doesn't love me, Quillen admitted, but there's nothing personal between me and Movane or Morris Coombs, and I'll have a message for Movane. What kind of a message? I'll have to play that by ear a little. It depends on how things look in there, but I have a few ideas based on what you've learned of the operation. Now, just what I can do when I get that far, I don't know yet. I'll simply try to louse the deal up as much as I can. That may take time, and of course it might turn out to be impossible to get word out to you. So what do we do meanwhile? Retall asked. If we start lining up our attack group immediately, and there's no action for another five or six hours, there's always the chance of a leak, with about twenty people in the know. And if there's a leak, Quillen agreed, you've probably had it. No, you'd better wait with that. If I'm not out, and you haven't heard from me before the Camelot's actually due to dock, Haraga can still take the group, everybody but yourself in, as scheduled. Why everybody but me? Retall asked. If nothing else works, you might find some way of getting a warning to the liner's security force after they're docked. It isn't much of a possibility, but we can't afford to throw it away. Yes, I see, Retall looked reflective. What do you think, Haraga? The little man shrugged. You told me that Mr. Quillen is not inexperienced in dealing with uh, his enemies. If he feels he might accomplish something in the executive block, I'm in favor of the plan. The situation certainly could hardly become worse. That's the spirit, Quillen approved. The positive outlook. That's what a thing like this mainly takes. Can you arrange for the diner and the uniform? Oh, yes, Haraga said. I've had myself put in charge of that detail, naturally. Then what can you tell me about the executive block's layout? Retall stood up. Come over to the desk, she said. We've got diagrams. The five levels, as you see, Haraga was explaining a few moments later, are built directly into the curve of the star's shells. Level five on the top is therefore quite small. The other levels are fairly extensive. Two, three, and four could each accommodate a hundred men comfortably. These levels contain mainly living quarters, private offices, and the like. The Brotherhood men appear to be occupying the fourth level. Valaden's group, the second. The third may be reserved for meetings between representatives of the two groups. All three of these levels are connected by single exit portals to the large entrance area on the ground level. The portals stood open when I went in earlier today, and there were about twenty armed men lounging about the entrance hall. I recognized approximately half of them as being members of the Star Security Force. The others were unfamiliar. Haraga cleared his throat. And there is a possibility that the two groups do not entirely trust each other. Quillen nodded. If they're playing around with something like sixty million CR, anybody would have to be crazy to trust the Brotherhood of Belden. The transmitter room and the control officers are guarded, too? 
"'Yes, but not heavily,' Haraga said. "'There seem to be only a few men stationed at each of these points. "'Ostensibly they're there as a safeguard "'in case the imaginary raiders attempt to break out of the subspace section.' "'What's the arrangement of the ordinary walk-in tube portals in the executive block?' "'There is one which interconnects the five levels. "'On each of the lower levels there are, in addition, "'several portals which lead out to various points in the Seven Star Hotel. "'On the fifth level there is only one portal of this kind. "'Except for the portal which operates between the different levels in the executive block, "'all of them have been rendered unusable at present.' "'Unusable in what way?' "'They have been sealed off on the executive block side.' Can you get me a diagram of the entry and exit systems these outgoing portals connect with? Quillen asked. I might turn one of them usable again. Yes, I can do that. How about the communication possibilities? The ComWeb system is functioning normally on the second, third, and fourth levels. It has been shut off on the first level, to avoid the spread of alarming rumors by office personnel. There is no ComWeb on the fifth level. Retall said, We'll shift our operating headquarters back to my registered suite, then. The comwebs are turned off in those vacant sections. I'll stay in the other suite in case you find a chance to signal in. Haraga left a few minutes later to make his arrangements. Retall smiled at Quinlan, a little dubiously. Good luck, Guy, she said. Anything else to settle before you start off? Quinlan nodded. Couple of details. "'If you're going to be in your regular suite "'and Fluel finds himself with some idle time on hand, "'he might show up for the dalliance you mentioned.' "'Rital's smile changed slightly. "'Her left hand fluffed the hair at the back of her head, "'flicked down again. "'There was a tiny click, "'and Quillen looked at a small jeweled hair clasp in her palm, "'its needle beak pointing at him. "'It hasn't got much range,' Rital said. "'But within ten feet it will scramble the Duke's brains.' just as thoroughly as they need to be scrambled. Good enough, Quillen said. Just don't give that boy the ghost of a chance, doll. He is a rep for playing very unnice games with ladies. I know his reputation, Retall replaced the tiny gun in her hair. Anything else? Yes. Let's look in on the Kinmartin chick for a moment. If she's awake, she may have remembered something or other by now that she didn't think to tell you. They found Solveig Kinmartin awake, and tearfully glad to see Retall. Quillen was introduced as a member of the legal profession, who would do what he could for Solveig and her husband. Solveig frowned prettily, trying very hard to remember anything that might be of use, but it appeared that she had told Retall all she knew. End of Part One